we don't know what happened prior preceding this and whether or not that you know amounts to road rage uh, certainly uh, we're not at that point yet uh, and we're not at the point where we're comfortable even saying whether or not it has any links to gangs drugs organized crime all right, you might recognize that voice. That particular clip is from 2011 because for decades, Dale Carr has been an RCMP officer and the face many people saw on the TV news, the voice people heard on radio many times right here on CKNW. It was his job to help people understand, to learn more about some of the most complicated and brutal crimes in this province. Dale Carr now has his eyes set on a new goal retirement and he is joining me on the line to talk more about his career how policing has changed dale carr thank you so much for being with us today well thank you for reaching out jill i uh, appreciate the opportunity well so many things that i know you have experienced and that you uh, did on your career and it must be so exciting now planning for retirement as you do that, what parts of your career kind of stay with you or maybe uh, will will stay with you as, as the most vivid memories? Wow, that's, um, there's a lot in just nearly 38 years. Um, I mean, you know, some of the fun stuff I did, for example, um, you know, not many people get that opportunity to ride a Harley Davidson for a career and, uh, and get paid for it. Uh, so I was a, a motor cop for a number of years. Uh, and then, and of course, being a media relations officer was really impactful to me. I, I did it for 15 years and uh, um, for a number, like for Surrey and for Langley, and then, of course, for the integrated homicide team. And um, made a lot of connections and was involved with a lot of uh, significant files. I want to talk more about that, and we'll get into some of those significant cases. But when you go back and when you talk about doing something for 38 years, what was it that, way back then, what was it that made you want to go into law enforcement? Well, it started back in uh, high school, grade 10. I was in a a class. I grew up in Chilliwack and graduated from high school in Chilliwack. And uh, my grade 10 law class, the teacher then, Mr. Cameron, set up some opportunities for us to uh, go on ride-alongs. And uh, I remember the night I was sitting in the lobby of the Chilliwack Police Office, the Chilliwack RCMP office, and a fellow, big, tall, mounty, walks out and says, who's next? I jumped up and I got to spend the evening with uh, him. And uh, I remember still to this day everything we did that night. And uh, it made a significant impact on me. I said when I left there, I've got to do this for uh, a career. And uh, kind of uh, fate has it, uh, 35 years later, I've been promoted to the rank of superintendent, and I'm working at our national, pardon me, our provincial headquarters here in uh, Surrey, and uh, I'm in the cafeteria having a coffee, and lo and behold, who walks in but that fellow. Uh, His name is Colin Abel, and uh, I had to check with a friend to make sure it was him, but it sure looked like him, and indeed it was. So I went and spoke with him, told him about the impact he had that night. Uh, he doesn't remember the night, of course, because that was back in the 70s of a long time ago. But uh, that was the night, and uh, that was the hook. It was uh, incredible. Wow. So he didn't remember the night, which which makes sense. Um, but did he did he get the sense then of, of the impact he'd had, that, that, that the impact on you, and likely a lot of other people as well? Uh, I think he did, and um, and I think the three other fellows that were sitting with him uh, that were giving him a hard time right after I walked away, 
of course, because, uh, you know, here I am, um, you know, a, a higher ranking officer uh, in the organization. He is out of the organization and working as a public service employee. But um, it was just uh, they're all poking fun at him because they were saying it was his fault that uh, uh, that I'm a superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, did you ever want to do anything else or was it up until that moment you just hadn't uh, hadn't decided and it was that moment that you knew? Well, interestingly, yes. Um, my actual goal was to become a broadcaster of, of huh. all things. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, I used to have my own little, and I'm using air quotes here, my own little radio station in my bedroom uh, 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 as a teenager. And I spent hours uh, recording uh, commercials and creating my own little show and uh, um and then at that time, we just, as a family, just didn't have the funds to send me off to uh, to broadcast school. So um, this option came up, and it really interested me. So I kind of got a little bit the best of both worlds, uh, maybe, um, uh, by going to policing and then becoming a, a media relations officer. Wow, and that makes a lot of sense, because I often do wonder what draws certain officers to go into media relations, but that makes sense. Yeah, it was... Uh, um, I remember a morning that I was invited on to the um, back then on Rock 101, the Brother Jake show, and I got to spin my own records. It was called On the Record, and uh, I came home that after, after that hour and told my wife I was uh, leaving policing and I was going to mm. pursue broadcasting. She soon put me back in my place. <laughs> 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 Although, I mean, if you if you were going to make bro Jake money, that would have been OK, too. But uh, not, yeah. not a lot of people in that in that camp. Uh, what, yeah. what makes somebody I know the job has changed a lot and we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. But what is it do you think that what do you need to bring to the job to be a good officer? Oh, my. Um, you know, you need uh, compassion, uh, absolutely need integrity uh, and honesty and. Uh, you know, and those are the core values of the RCMP, but you need to bring those things. Um, um, and, you know, you, you've got to live them. Uh, it's not something you've just put on at the beginning of your shift and then take off. You, you know, it's a, I would say it's a lifestyle. It's a calling. And um, you, um, yeah, that's what you got to bring to the table is uh, some of those things. Honesty and integrity. Thanks for being with us. Continuing now with Dale Carr. For many years, he was the face of TV news and radio from the RCMP point of view, media relations with the RCMP. And he is talking with me today because he is set to retire after a very lengthy career. Dale Carr, thank you again so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Jill. Uh, we talked a little bit about how you got into law enforcement and uh, the path you took becoming the media relations officer. When you look back at the job, what kind of changes did you see as far as, I mean, you're de- whether you're a media relations officer or in other areas, you're dealing with, in, in many cases, brutal, brutal stories, uh, brutal things that have happened and cases. What has changed as far as how those things are dealt with? Well, you know, um, we do. We do see a lot of um, things that uh, the average citizen would not typically see and deal with. And, uh, you know, mental health is um, one that has really come to the forefront uh, and the mental health and the mental care of, uh, of 
all police officers, not just RCMP. And uh, what I can say is, um, you know, over the years, it used to be, you know, a, a suck it up ma- um, attitude and uh, mentality in the organization. And uh, I have found personally over the years, it's grown to uh, put that in the background and more and work more toward uh, helping the members. We're not, you know, the organization isn't there yet. I know some police agencies are doing a little bit better than uh, the RCMP are, but they're, they're taking great strides in the uh, right direction in my view. But what's important is for each person, they can't rely on the organization. It's easy to neglect one's mental health amid the demands of the job. But neglecting your mental health, it, that can lead to burnout and compassion fatigue and even PTSD. And uh, we don't want to get to that level. So it's, um, it's imperative that police officers uh, take the time to prioritize their mental health. And that includes seeking um, support when needed and practicing self-care routines and accessing those uh, resources when uh, they have uh, come in contact with trauma. And and it's got to be a big shift, like you said, going from a kind of a suck it up perspective to even acknowledging and and people will be familiar with some of the biggest cases, whether we're talking about uh, the Robert Picton murder case investigation and trial, uh, the, the, the Robert Zakansky uh, tasering case. I mean, there are so many of those high profile stories that that's got to take a toll on everybody connected to it. Yeah, certainly. You know, the Zakansky matter is one that I was uh, knee deep in, and uh, it took a uh, a big toll on me. I was uh, I was dealing with media on that for a great deal of time. I took some personal hits in the media uh, from some um, political um, satire satirists, uh, calling me a liar, calling me a stonewaller, and uh, I took that very, very personally. And uh, it was it was hard to uh, get through that. But then once uh, Justice Braidwood uh, had uh, indicated through his report that uh, I did not lie, I knew I hadn't. Uh, but when you're pub- when publicly you're, you know, people are, are, it's being said that you were, it's hard to stand up and say you can't, you didn't. So Braidwood did say that, and that made me feel somewhat better. And uh, I'm glad that that happened because uh, I had made my mind up that if. If that hadn't happened, I couldn't do media relations moving forward because uh, I couldn't be labeled a, a liar and be trusted to do media relations. I know you've talked about as well that that you you did you didn't you never lied about anything, but certainly as a media relations officer, you had to make the decision what can be released, what can't be released. I know you tell a, a story about John Daly, who many people here will remember, an investigative reporter. He actually had a show here. He was a, a reporter with Global and BC TV. Uh, was he a bit of a thorn in your side sometimes? Um, I, I would I would not say a thorn. He was a <laughs> prolific individual at his job. And um, he held us to account. And uh, John's a friend. I just saw him uh, a week and a half ago uh, uh, downtown. And uh, I enjoyed uh, spending a few minutes with him. And uh, um, I quite liked him. And, yeah, we, you know, there's times where you have to be strategic. You have to have two plans. And uh, in probably the story that you're thinking of or that you may have heard is uh, – during the arrests of, uh, or the guilty plea of one of those involved in the uh, Surrey Six, which hinged on 
by that person pleading guilty hinged on uh, three other arrests in separate locations with, throughout the province. And uh, we couldn't let that uh, story leak out and uh, because it, it would have had detrimental effects on the arrests and potential danger to the officers. And so um, I had a plan A and a plan B, and I ended up having to go to plan B, and that was calling a news conference at a really unusual time, like 1240 um, you know, in the afternoon uh, at uh, our then headquarters uh, downtown. And um, it would not provide John the opportunity to do a new news and be at the news conference. And uh, um, once, once we held that news conference, John came up to me and shook my hand and said, no, it was well played because um, uh, he knew exactly what I had done. It's amazing, too, the insight there, knowing that they, that they wouldn't have found a workaround uh, like, John, you go here, you go here, that, that you were able to pull that off. Yeah, you know, and, and um, I, a little bit of, maybe a little bit of ego, but a little bit of pride in that I knew at that particular time, if I was calling a news conference and it said significant update on Surrey 6, I knew people were going to come to that. Um, I was that confident. So um, um, I felt that uh, there was still a risk that maybe they would leave John down uh, in the city with a live truck and then bring somebody up there. There was that risk, and I laid that out to my bosses. But I felt that uh, John would want this, and he would chomp at it, and he was up there, and I I read it right. (laughs) Uh, We only have about a minute left. What are you going to do with uh, all of your spare time in retirement? Oh, my spare time. That's um, something that I'm not going to have. I Listen, um, through 38 years, I missed a lot with my own family, my kids, and my wife. So I'm giving back. Hmm. Well, that's... <clears throat> Sorry. That's okay. Um, my grandkids, I've got three of them. So I just want to be there for them. Sorry about that. You do not need to apologize. I think that's a perfect retirement plan. And on that note, Dale Carr, thank you so much for this, yeah. uh, for what uh, you did in your career. And thank you for sharing your stories today with us. Yeah, thank you, Jill. Sorry, uh, that just hit me out of nowhere. So, no, but thank you very much. I appreciate this. And uh, you were always uh, great to deal with. And, uh, and as was CKNW always. So um, thank you for all this.